0: Hello and welcome to the podcast series on beingfulness by Professor Ram Nidamolu, Practice Professor of Organizational Behaviour at the Indian School of Business. My name is Pavitra, your host and friend through this series. With each emerging episode of this series, Professor Ram, through his narration of personal anecdotes and stories from the Upanishads, will help us break down the concepts of beingfulness. Make sure to stay with us till the end of each episode, where we pose a pressing managerial question to Professor Rao. Today, we're very, very eager to continue the conversation that we were having last time. Professor, you were telling us how you grew up with two opposing, not actually opposing, but two different points of view. And you were telling us how there was a spiritual side and a more rational and pragmatic side in your upbringing. Now while the issues themselves might be very different for different people, every one of us has to choose between one of two sides often. Now how did this struggle manifest in your life and how did you deal with it?
1: I would say, you know, if I often do this, uh, ask people, what's one word that describes you, right? So if I were asked that, I would say conflicted is that word. And it's one word that, uh, you know, conflicted as a young man, which way do you go? Do you chase wealth and uh, position or do you chase education knowledge? And uh, then afterwards, uh, do you chase, you know, very successful startups and uh, a good exit or do you chase doing the right thing, doing something that's useful and helpful? Even as an academic, right? Do you chase uh, papers and publications or do you chase uh, something that's very meaningful? So it's always a conflict in many ways. So do you chase external glory and you know being popular and all that or do you chase internal discovery? So that's a conflict that I don't think ever gets resolved. And I've now learned that you know you don't need to resolve it. We are after all contradictory creatures, right? We, we that's a great beauty of uh, of us, our mind that it can hold uh, conflicting positions without trying to resolve it. And it's the beauty of not resolving it that gives us our character. And to me, you know, what I find about beingfulness, which is the philosophy derived from the Upanishads, is it has an image for this. It has an image that's a very ancient image. And this image is of two birds in a tree. I use this often. It first appeared in the Rig Veda about 1500 BC and it uh, then was picked up in different Upanishads. Picked up and actually three of them, the Mundaka Upanishad that was picked up and the Katho Upanishad. It was picked up in the shvetashvatara upanishad and uh, you know we are uh, the tree our body is the tree and we have two birds one bird is the ego bird the ahamkaram in sanskrit it's all about wealth and greed and doing and having and deadlines and uh, making things work and making money and profits for companies all those things right and the other bird is the calm bird the bird which is uh, you know has a big picture in mind the wise bird that at some level is detached from all this, equanimity. And we are both these. We don't have to kill one of the two birds. We just have to find the right balance between the two. And I just find if we keep trying to get that balance, in that sense, I think my life has been an attempt to find that balance. Because it's never fully there. It's always unbalanced. But uh, the act of trying to find the balance is the wonderful thing.
0: What a wonderful symbolism of two birds in a tree. What's been very reassuring to hear for a person that's a little younger than you is that we don't really have to choose one over the other, but finding balance between two can also be very, very um, fulfilling. So I think this makes a lot of sense um, philosophically, theoretically, but I still don't know how we can apply this to conflicts that we face on a daily basis. So, could you? Give us a few examples of this.
1: Yeah, let me give you some. And let me, This might uh, relate to people who are, let's say, in their 20s, right? People in their 20s, I mean, there are many of them. By the way, it helps to um, do journaling. Journaling, really, writing in journals, which I've been doing for, I guess, 30, 40 years and to identify these conflicts. Let me identify some conflicts that come up when, when you're young. So you're in the dorms, one key conflict that always comes up is whether to be popular, to be in the group, that you know, the clique that is popular, do the things that others aspire for, right? Uh, the kind of appearance, to appear to be successful, appear to be the in-group and so on or uh, do something that is closer to you. It may be that you're someone who's more quiet by nature, perhaps even lonely by nature, prefer solitude perhaps your books or whatever it is, that, uh, that being in that in-click is not for you. And I think that's a click ma- that's a conflict many people face all the time. It's the conflict of uh, the appearing successful person versus the one who's quietly perhaps doing his or her own thing. Right? You'll find that always. That repeats itself. In, in colleges, it repeats itself at work. It, re- it repeats itself uh, in your profession and so on. I don't think it ever gets resolved. I think you just come to accept it. You reconcile with that, right? And uh, a similar kind of conflict, which I think is rooted in that same thing, the appearing self versus the real self, is what do you seek? Do you seek big positions and titles when someone makes a lot of money, someone is successful as the CEO of a large company? Those are things that many people seek, you know, we, especially in management, are geared to seek those kinds of things, the kinds of outer success, material success. And is that where we peg our, uh, again, not to deny it, but that's another conflict. Do you want that kind of uh, uh, external um, motivators of success? or Do you want something that's perhaps no, not so outcome-oriented? That may be to your knowledge, your own, pursuing your purpose, identifying purpose, pursuing it, perhaps away from the limelight, may not be recognized by others, may not be at all popular, famous. That's a constant uh, conflict. Do you go for what uh, something inside you truly cares for, or do you go for these outer markers of success? And uh, So yes, I would say these two are the...
0: Okay, and how would you make a choice in this situation?
1: Let's take the second one, right? Because we all, uh, that's how we, we start in an MBA program often. And in the MBA program, we hear about these great uh, heroes, CEOs of companies who saved companies. You know, Steve Jobs, uh, Jack Welch, uh, in India, Narayan Murthy, and Ratan Tata, and so on. These great heroes of corporations, and uh, who ran big companies, made a lot of money, achieved a lot of success for their firms, great shareholder value, and so on. So that that's where we begin to think of them as role models that our success is in terms of uh, how big a company we ran, how much, uh, that kind of impact we had. So that gets, but you know, not all of us are cut out for it. Only a few of us will achieve it, uh, very small. So what happens to all the others? So for me, that has been a, you know when I was doing my MBA and uh, and then afterwards doing my PhD. So in academia, was a professor similar things? Do you want to be that well-known chaired professor who has done this, achieved a lot, or do you want to pursue something else that's telling you this matters more? So that was my big dilemma after I graduated in uh, 1991 with my PhD. From 91 till 1998, I was a professor, assistant professor at the University of Arizona. And uh, you know, on one hand, uh, you, your marker of success is where you publish, top journals, your teaching. On the other hand, I was thinking, is this really what I want to do? Is this my marker of success, or should I pursue this inner, this realization that was developing in me? But that's not going to translate to research and so on. It will not translate to papers. I was also interested in entrepreneurship. So it was a big issue for me. It took me seven, eight years to resolve that. It was just a lot of agony. Should I stay in academia or should I leave? And I eventually left in uh, 1999 and had uh, young children at that time. I had a daughter who was just, uh, how old was she? Five years old. I had a son only three years old and it was almost being on the streets at that time. So I ended up uh, leaving just before when I was assured of tenure, but I just felt it would be handcuffs. If I did that, I would never leave again. Very few people leave after they get tenure because it's too certain and in that sense, comfortable a job. So I left just before that and uh, plunged into the world of startups and immediately the market crashed. My timing was perfect or imperfect. There was the dot-com collapse in 1999. So yeah, so this immediately presented itself. Did I make a big mistake? Did I screw up? You know, I left a comfortable career for the big risks of uh, entrepreneurship. Was it a huge mistake? And yeah, so I think um, I got a lot of comfort, not complete comfort, but a lot of comfort from just knowing at least I was pursuing something deep in me, this call. And it would uh, guide me through at some level. And I would often turn to the Upanishads, to the Bhagavad Gita and so on. I even named my company Gandiva. Gandiva is the great bow of Arjuna and uh, so it represented that conflict I had and uh, so yeah so you know it was agony difficult but uh, in the end as I've learned slowly slowly in the 20 years that have taken place that things work out they would do work out we have a lot of anxiety because the other path is much easier the path where there's a clear ladder is laid out for you it is a very clear path you know what needs to be done to get promoted But this other path is a complete off-ramp. You're in a forest, no real trails. You have to, so it's definitely a very uh, uncertain path. But in the end, it works out. I think if we just, uh... because you're redefining success your way. So for me, that has been the challenge, redefining success. And so over the course of my entrepreneurship and then the other work I did consulting and so on, I've said, okay, you know, I really care about this concept of being and expressing it. And I have a belief that I can do it, write about it and so on. And I just stay with it. Just stay with it through all the doubts and the uncertainties. Just stick to it. It'll get better and better. And over time, over 20 years, it's slowly become better. You see more and more light and so on. So, yeah, so I think, uh, but it's a constant challenge. It's, it never goes away. It, uh, it only gets uh, addressed by constantly reverting back to your purpose. What matters to you? and to most especially listening to your inner voice. I want to just emphasize that. That there is something in you that tells you, that guides you. Paying attention to it, I think, uh, developing that makes a big difference.
0: Now that was very helpful. I think to learn about finding balance and also what's most reassuring for a young person like me is that we don't always have to make a choice between two sides, but finding balance itself can be very, very important. So this was very, very helpful to hear. Given the relatability and the applicability of the concepts of beingfulness in all of our lives and work, we brought Professor back into the studio and posed to him some questions that we've been receiving from alumni of his courses and also listeners of this podcast. So here is this week's question. OK, Professor, so I think your narration of the two birds in a tree uh, brings to mind a question that we recently received from uh, one of the alumnus of your courses. Um, and he mentioned in his email that uh, for a very long time in his career and his life, he was very, very goal-oriented. But as he grew and evolved in his career, he realized that he became a more go-with-the-flow in-the-moment. Um, But he's finding it harder to make sense of this and to find an anchor in all of this. So how would you explain this? Yeah,
1: yeah, this is a question that comes up often, Pavitra. This is something that uh, students of mine and uh, I too have experienced this this kind of dilemma in a way. Mm -hmm. And this is all to do with uh, something that seems contradictory. And, uh, you know, business and when we graduate from business schools like ISB, we are thrust into a world where it's all about outcomes. Hmm. It's all about goals, deliverables, targets, deadlines, profits. You know, there's something you're seeking. And you get caught up in it, and your life gets consumed by it. You become extremely goal-oriented, like the lower bird in the tree. The Hmm. lower bird is all about that, seeking fruit, not being satisfied with the fruit, the next bigger fruit, the next juicier fruit, the next branch of the tree. It's an endless procession of uh, things that don't satisfy you. But they're there, they are needed. Mm. And at the same time, uh, the higher bird, the bird of being, is about being in the moment. It's a beyond time at some level, going beyond time. And there is a kind of satisfaction, there's a joy that comes with that. Mm. Not being constrained by deadlines and so on. But uh, So this uh, student who was asking about it, uh, but yet there's something missing in it. Mm. It seems as if you're not doing something, it seems as if you're not achieving. And uh, the two birds analogy, which is the foundation to beingfulness, is really not to think in terms of either or. Hmm. Those are false choices. They're often called Hobbesian choices. They're you know stated in a way that they force you to choose, but you have to go down to the assumptions and realize that, really, you don't need to choose at all, hmm. that they are and. You can do both. And how do you do both is the question. So they're only seeming contradictions. In reality, you can reconcile them. And how do you reconcile them? There are many approaches for it. One, try to look for the underlying synergies between mm. them. So when you're goal-oriented, yes, uh, you know, uh, look for the kinds of goals that are attractive to you. When you're in the moment or when you're not goal-oriented, when you're pursuing something that just seems to flow, then what is it uh, about it at a core level that is similar to when you're chasing a goal? Is it the creative process that you love? And often creative processes need both. They mm. need you to explore And they need you to exploit. Explore means in the moment, without being driven by any goals. Exploit means you have to get it done quickly. And true creativity is a combination of both. Mm. You need both uh, exploration and exploitation. You need to have that kind of reflection, enjoying, thinking, lateral thinking, and so on. But you also need deadlines. Mm. The deadlines are there for a reason. In fact, there's research that suggests that in the absence of deadlines, you become less creative. So you need that. And, uh, so re- to keep that in your mind, that uh, the lower bird is there for a reason. It allows you to make it tangible, possible, make it something that's viable. Mm. Whereas the higher bird is the great creative, exploring kind of bird. So that's one. Mm. Recognize that this doesn't have to be a contradiction. You can. The second one is uh, what's called integrative complexity. Okay. That our own mind needs to be able to use and store seemingly opposite thoughts we don't have to think black and white Hmm. we need to be able to store and keep in our mind and actively play with points of view that might seem contradictory so in that sense being able to entertain a wide variety of points of view and to be able to see aspects and that's a very important uh, leadership capability integrative complexity you're differentiating by knowing the differences between points of view but yet you can tie them together in your mind. When you develop that kind of integrative thinking, then these don't look like contradictions anymore. You're willing to be both. When the moment demands you to be in the moment, absolutely. When the moment demands that you be very goal-oriented, you switch quickly. So to see them as just ways of being that you can switch back and forth between and not think of them as opposite. That's the second one. A third one, there are many such, but let me just give a third one. Often we are torn by this tension. We sort of think, uh, you know, I just it, it eats, uh, eats into you, and uh, you're consumed by it, and you feel that uh, there's something inherently wrong and conflicting with it. The key there is to not to fight it. Mm-hmm. And this is a therapy lesson. At some level, accept it. Accept that you are a contradictory creature in that sense. Accept there are forces in you that uh, pull you in different directions. The more you resist those forces, the more powerful they become. Right. And then, when you begin at level say, "This is who I am." You know, I chase deadlines. I get exhausted. I then really relish it. The deadlines then become less threatening hmm. as you let them. You know, at some level, become part of you. Hmm. Then uh, you are you're freed from them by accepting them. You're no longer seeing them as something to really fight against and to create that internal stress and so on. So, a degree of self acceptance comes in. And when that happens, you're less consumed by them. You're less addicted to them. Mm. You can now be anchored in the higher part. You can see them from a distance. And you can tell yourself, yes, uh, I'm a person who gets caught up in deadlines and accept that. That acceptance then makes you less caught up in deadlines the next time. So these are some ways in which what seems uh, really contradictions is reconciled. And uh, this is also called paradoxical thinking.
0: Great. Thank you so much for
1: this, Professor. Okay, great.
0: With that, we come to the end of the third episode of the podcast series. In the next episode, we'll learn a lot more about how leaders can apply beingfulness as they work and lead. So stay tuned. You can send in your questions at beingfulness at gmail.com. Follow us on social media. The links are provided in the description below. And keep listening to the Beingfulness Podcast wherever you find your podcasts. Thank you so much for tuning in today.